Okay, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's pray. Father, we're talking about this high ground indeed. The just shall live by faith. And uh, Lord, bless, instruct. Take these uh, lessons and drive them home to our heart in a way that's a real benefit. I'm a, I know all your words of benefit. I, I totally get that. But I, I really want this to, you know, be life-changing. And I can't do that. Spirit of God, you can, and I pray that you will, to your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You teach on Hebrews, are you, are you asking for trouble? You know, you're teaching on Hebrews 11, talking about faith, and is God going to put your faith to the test? I'm not superstitious, but it's been my experience. I know we don't go by experience, but follow, follow through with me on this. It's been my experience that God, almost on a daily basis, finds a different way to say, do you trust me? Or is it just me? Is, is anyone else... Um, is anyone else feeling that, sensing that? We're living in a fallen world, and you're going to need to trust God. You're going to need to walk by faith. That's just that's the rules of the game. That's how it is. And I don't really need faith. You've got faith in something. It's only a question of what. Uh, and I think these lessons, like each one of them, eight, and, and I'm wondering, because I think they're very simple lessons, and I've kind of expounded them, and I try to gear it down to if they were like a, a five-year-old among us, that they would understand what I'm talking about. Like, for instance, and I'm going to quiz you now, what does Abel instruct us as far as faith is concerned? Uh-huh. Because you're shy, right? Okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Abel talks to us about how to approach God based on the, the theology of done, not do. Cain, what's well, what I can do for God? I'm going to grow these vegetables. They grow, grow these fruit of the ground, vegetables, grain. We don't know, right? He didn't bleed. God had already established a, a methodology for coming to him. We say, well, I'll be religious, but I'll be religious any way I want. That's the way of Cain. It's also the way of America in the 21st century. It's been the way of America for my whole life. And Abel tells us, no, we approach God based on what he's done and by what he says. Um, Enoch talks to, us, talks to us about how to walk with God and what a, what a daily walk looks like. Noah tells us that faith reaches down and makes transforming. We, we, we share it with our household. We bring faith to bear among our children. Listen, he, he saved his household. Abraham teaches a lot of stuff. He, you know, the first part we're talking about the coming out of and the, and the entering into. We'll see that again in the life of Moses. And then, you know, last week we've been talking about the offering of Isaac. Dramatic stuff. Incredible stuff. What does it teach us, though? It teaches us that God's ways are the right ways even when they don't seem like it. We talk about right and wrong because it's situational awareness, situational ethics now, situational awareness. I'm back in my old role as safety, safety guy. Situational, everything, it depends on the situation. It depends on what right and what wrong is. We, we shoot the arrow where it lands and we paint the target around it. And we always hit the bullseye. It is what I say it is. Really? What about the rapist who thinks that raping is okay? By the way, he's more aligned with survival of the fittest than 
All the people say rape is wrong. And by the way, we know rape is wrong. How do we know it? Because the Bible says so. We don't have to wait for culture or the rules to say so. We have to wait for somebody to say it's, it's wrong, it's against the law, before we know it's wrong because the Bible says so. So Abraham has a dilemma. How does the God of the Bible, how does this all come out? In Isaac shall thy seed be called, and God wants me to make him a burnt offering? What doesn't add up? You go by the word of God. Now, to be sure, Abel didn't have, Abraham didn't have the written word of God at that time. He had the verbal word of God. We know better. We're not supposed to sacrifice our children. All child sacrifice is a hollow, it's a mockery of the God who so loved that he gave his only begotten son. There was child sacrifice on our behalf to save us. Everything else is a, is a farce. It's, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's not what God desires. But it, we follow God and we do what God says and see how it worked out? Abraham's saying, going to the point of God must be able to raise him from the dead. This is, this is the heir. This is the heir apparent. This is the one God said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. How, how do I sacrifice him as a burnt sacrifice and then it's all good? God's going to have to raise him from the dead. And God did raise him from the dead, figuratively, that's what we read in verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Or he did raise him, figuratively speaking. Now, I've got to read three verses for you. By faith, and this is where we, we did all that last week. Now, verse 20 is where we're starting, really, starting proper today. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And we're all going, what? Say, what? what? I, uh, what's this all about? See, the problem is, and I'm not trying to call you dumb or anything. I'm really not. I'm not like that. But when he would say this, the writer to the, uh, uh, the Hebrews, he was talking to Hebrews, and they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see your point. Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Oh, I understand. And guess what? We don't always understand. Now, I know you understand, but later on people will download this message, and they don't understand. So give me the opportunity to explain it, and that, that will be helpful. Because a lot of us, I think, are saying, okay, we look at the life of Isaac, and th- his big moment of faith is when he blessed his sons. Hey, listen, that's a big important thing to a son, the blessing of his father. I mean, it really, really is. We don't, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, we, there's a lot of things, I think, in our culture that God's word judges a culture. We, we think a lot of things, well, that's the way we do it, like it's okay. Because that's the way we do it. Who says we should do it that way? I think a blessing to a son is an important thing. I think a blessing to a daughter is a, a, a patriarchal blessing. I, I look over the years and I see so many men have father wounds. They just, they never connected with their dad in a way that was a real benefit. We don't confer a manhood on our sons. We don't. We don't have bar mitzvah, should we? I'm not saying that. And Catholics kind of do it a little bit in confirmation. So I was seventh grade, they gave me confirmation. But that's the time when you receive the Holy Spirit in a... In a this is what they maintain. Is that scriptural? Well, I wasn't a believer, so think about me receiving the Holy Spirit. 
as a non-believer. I don't think it took, okay? But they at least they're making some effort to, okay, it's like bar mitzvah light. Or, and if you're a girl, it's bat mitzvah. It's, it's you're a son of the law or a daughter of the law is the idea. And now it's not like I'm not your father anymore, but it's like God is your father. You're not accountable to me. You're accountable right to God. You're an adult now. And like I said, we never do that. We don't really bless our sons a lot of times. Um, a, a dad's love is a more conditional thing. It's not, but it looks that way. You know, when our son is a star quarterback and he, he, he throws the winning touchdown, that's my boy, you know. And we even do that like when our sons get in trouble. We, you know, mom tries to give them to us, you know. You know what your son did today? And we're like, eh, my son, uh-oh, it can't be good, right? And we play volleyball with our sons. Oh, your son did what, you know, and away we go, and we try to figure out what's, uh, what the situation is. So this man Isaac, he's Abraham's son. You know the story, okay? Abraham can't have any children. When he's 99, he has Isaac, okay? Sarah's about 80 at the time. Wow. Uh, 85 maybe. I can't, I never remember. I think she's 15 years old. Or anyway, she's too old to have children. Abraham's too old to have children. And now she has them. How does that work? The natural way that you would think it would work. It's not a virgin birth or anything like that. We have two old people who had a, a baby. Isn't God incredible? And God says, hey, sacrifice. And we understood that from last week. It wasn't, it didn't, God didn't actually mean that to happen he was trying to show us something and he did he showed us a god he showed us a father so loved that he gave his only son he showed us a son who was obedient even unto death at a place where it would later happen and when it would happen later on we know it better as as golgotha as as calvary when it did happen there was no angel of the lord to stay the execution at that time Abraham, knowing that he was acting out prophecy, he, he called the name of the, he called it the place Jehovah Jireh, and in the, the mount it shall be seen. God provides, and you know, he said God will provide himself a lamb, and of course he did. So Isaac, we have that, that child who was spared that day, grows up, and he marries Rebekah, and they can't have children either, and then, you know, they pray, and God opens up her womb, and then they ha she has twins. She goes to the Lord, and they're fighting in her womb. You get, listen, if you just have one child, you think he's in there fighting or something like that. They tell me. They tell me. I don't know, you know. But I remember my wife say, you can feel him right here. He's kicking, and you put your hand on his stomach. and say, Huh, that's my boy. He's trying to kick his way out. That's crazy stuff going on there. Imagine having twins, and they're all wrestling all the time and stuff like that. She goes to the Lord, and she says, what's going on here? And he says, well, this is two, two manner of people are in your womb. You got two manner of people in your womb. You can have some fireworks, I guess. You know, I guess that's the way it works out. And so um, the first one's born. His name's Esau. And then Jacob comes holding on to his heel, trying to grab his heel. The idea of trying to <laughs> draw him back in so he could, have, so he could be born first. And so they named him Esau. They named him basically Harry because he had red hair. He was red like a garment. Imagine that little orangutan baby or something. I'm, I always picture, you know, and uh, not, not 
obviously not that hairy. He wasn't a werewolf. I mean, he was a human, but he has a lot of red hair and stuff like that. And then you have uh, Jacob grabbing his heel, and they named them both like prophetically. And Jacob means heel grabber. And we don't, we don't grab people's heel. It's not a thing in our culture. It means to trip up by grabbing the heel. It would be like deceiver, con man, something like that. And that's how he's named. And uh, so, you know the story. Uh, Isaac favors Esau because he's a man's man. And he goes out and hunts. And he brings back dad venison. And dad's like, love that venison, son. Keep it coming. And he prefers his oldest son to his younger son. That's, that's always a bad idea. Dads, I hope you're not like that at all. I, I mean, Bob, you've got a whole pile of kids. Who's your favorite one? No favorites here. Keep that up. That's a good idea. We, who can, you can't have a favorite kid. And then just Isaac does. And Rebecca, her favorite son is Jacob. Those are, I don't care which one you choose. The choice itself is, that's a bad idea, Dad. That's a bad idea, Mom. That's dysfunctional. That's, that's, that's horrific. So anyway... It's come to the time Isaac is about to die. I think Isaac is kind of a drama queen. He dies like 43 years after this scene where he blesses him. What is that all about? I'm dying. Go get me. Go out and shoot a deer. Bring it home. Make up some venison stew that I like so good, and I'll, I'll bless you. We had already found out God had told Rebecca that it's it's, it's the younger is going to serve the older. It's going to be Jacob. It's not going to be Esau. Is that, we have precedence for that? Yeah, we have it in Ishmael and Isaac. And so we have this rule in place, and God goes out of his way to break it every time he can. By the way, something that came to me this, this, this week, I don't see anything in Scripture where it says the older got to have the double inheritance, the, the primogenitor is what they call it, right? He's the priest of the house. He has the double portion, the double blessing. That's not, a, that's not a rule. I can't see. Maybe I'm wrong. You come tell me. Where you know someplace where God says, that's the way I want it. I want the double blessing to go to Cain. Forget Abel. Show me anything. It was practiced. And you can show me a lot of places in Scripture it's practiced. But you can't show me anywhere God commands. This is how I want it to play out. And I don't think it's that way at all. I mean, I really don't. So anyway, um, and I think the, the point is, is like the fir- your first birth, that's flesh. Second birth, that's important. That's the one where you're going to live forever. Born twice, die once. Born just once, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, you're going to die eternally. That's a bad place to be. Born again, that's important. And the second birth, the spiritual birth, is the one that God blesses. And I think this is a picture of that. And Isaac saying, look, God, I don't care what you say. I'm, I like I, uh, Esau, and I'm going to bless Esau. Listen, it's important what God says. He doesn't talk just to hear himself. He, he's, he's a loving Heavenly Father. Do it this way. Do it this way. It works out better. Trust me. Esau is a vain man. He's a... He's a He's all about flesh, and he's a picture of the flesh all through Scripture here. I mean, from his birth, and every time he's alluded to, it's a picture of the flesh. And Isaac's saying, yeah, I prefer that. It's a, it's a bad choice. And again, it goes against what God said. So Rebecca hatches this plan. Yeah, put this goat skin on you. She takes 
Isaac's clothes and he's blind. He's an old man and he can't see. So he puts Isaac's clothes on him and he gets this goat skin on him and puts it on his head. I imagine what Esau looked like. I mean, <laughs> incredible to me. So he goes in, um, hey, Dad. You know, and he's like, uh, is that you, my son? He goes, yeah, it's, uh, it's me, Esau. <clears throat> and he's like, man, it sounds like Jacob. Well, come over here so I can smell you. And does he smells me, smells like Esau. I'm thinking Esau must be this really funky guy who doesn't like have good hygiene habits of his clothes are always reeking of Esau or something. I don't know. And then he touches his hands and he feels the goat fur on it and think, oh yeah, I guess you're Esau, right? And how'd you find this food so fast? He goes, oh, well, the Lord your God, he, he gave me, you know, the benefit. He, he blessed me and stuff like that. Oh, oh, oh. So you're going to drag God into your car wreck? Really? I love when people, your life is a dumpster fire and it's got God's seal of approval on it. I love that. It's a faith walk. It's what God says. Now, I, our ability to say what's wrong and paint it so it's right is amazing. It's amazing when I do it. And I have heard so many. Now, this is what Scripture says. Uh, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to give to the Lord. Well, you know, uh, charity starts at home, and I take care of my family, because the Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Oh, oh, oh. So you think the Bible's saying that take care of your household means don't give to the Lord? See how we do it? See how we, we, do, we take a, a verse and a, and a principle and we go against the, the, the obvious word of God and we paint it in such a way. We do, everyone does that about everything. Hey, you shouldn't be doing, well, you know, and they're going to explain why it's okay. Hey, don't live with that girl. Don't, don't do that. That's, a, that's, that's wrong. That's, no, that's against, the, that's against the word of God. Well, you, can, you would drive a car without taking a test drive. We're just like, what Bible verse are you looking at? But we have this amazing propensity to take what's wrong and paint it in a way so now it's right. We're incredible. We do, everyone does it, and they do it with real facility, and I, it's incredible. So his going to tell his dad, you know, I'm, I'm this, and this is how it's going down. And, and mom's in on the whole scheme. It's wrong from the get-go. Is Isaac wrong in trying to bless Esau? Yeah. Does God need Rebecca's plot? No. <laughs> God's made his choice. I, it, I, I read that scene. It's, to me, one of the most remarkable scenes. So Esau, because he's all about the stew, and I understand, I understand a, a guy likes game, for someone who's hunted deer his whole adult life, and I've eaten moose meat and venison and all that stuff, and I love it. I, I really, really do. I don't know that I want to go against God's principles to get some, though. It's kind of a little too high a price to pay. Anyway, so he blesses him, and off he goes. And now here comes the real Esau. Dad, it's me, Esau. Um, they just barely miss each other in the hall. I have an idea, because as soon as he leaves, Esau comes in. Hey, it's your, it's your eldest, it's Esau. And Isaac understands that he's been duped, but he also understands that I think God's will has prevailed. And finally, he gets to the place where he says, all right, God, if that's what you want. 
He blesses his other son. He says, oh, you got dad's one blessing. Don't you have a blessing for me? You can almost hear the tears in his voice. I feel sorry for Esau. He might be a man of the flesh, but he's still after dad's blessing. I get that. Listen, I totally get that. And back to that father wound I was talking about earlier. If you had a great and a loving dad who's just the best guy in the whole world, God bless you. God, God bless you. I have an idea that us, of those who had really good dads, we could have a, a reunion in a phone booth. There's always a problem there. It's very often, I, I don't know if it's just humanity in America, or just humanity that comes down right from Adam. I don't, I don't know. But I think a lot of guys are still dealing with a dad who was either emotionally absent, physically absent. And you're thinking, I, I was praying for absent. My, God, my dad, I could, the stories I could tell. I know. I know. Here, Isaac is there. He's just, he's just, I like Esau. I don't love Jacob. Really, Dad? Now when he tells Esau, I know I've given your, your brother the blessing and he shall be blessed. What's that look like? Dad, don't you have a blessing for me? So he gives him a blessing. He says, you're going to be a great people and this and that. And, and I think that's a prophecy too. And it all comes to pass what he says, but he says in truth, you know, when you get stronger, you'll break free from the bondage of your brother. But you, you, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to serve your brother. And Esau is a precursor to many of the Islam people now. Who I think the whole religion has a father wound. From Abraham selecting Isaac over Ishmael, from uh, Isaac selecting Jacob over Esau. I think the whole religion has a father wound. You know, on top of the um, the um, what's it in uh, on the Temple Mount, the uh, the mosque, the uh, Dome of the Rock. There's a inscription around it: "God does not beget, neither is he begotten." They still got a father wound. I mean, think that through. God's not a father. Wait, what? Wait, what? Don't they believe in Jesus? They say they do. They say he was a prophet, but they don't believe his prophecy. Uh, Jesus, Esau, whatever they say, they, he came and he told us, hey, call God Father. I mean, that must have been, we're looking at that in a sermon, it must have been dramatic. He said, uh, hey, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And all the Pharisees around him, they must have just been, that must have boiled their potatoes. They hear him refer to them so casually as father. It's not casual at all. Our father, this changes everything, doesn't it? Isn't that the point? So Isaac, so there's the, sto- there's the backstory. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. What does that teach us? Go with what God says. Don't be so self-willed. Don't. Yeah, but Isaac's you know, this great. Esau's this great hunter, and he's my favorite. Shut up. Do what God told you to do. How's that? And I think that's what Isaac teaches us. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on top of the staff. This is a backstory, too, that we may or may not be aware of. Why is Jacob leaning on top of the staff? Jacob, heel grabber, the whole, his whole life is a series of trying to get over, trying to put over. He had sold uh, his... He bought his birthright from Esau for a bowl of stew. He fooled his blind dad into thinking that he was a different son than he actually was. He 
is wrestling with Laban for 20 years for daughters and inheritance and flocks and herds. I think Laban is his equal, though. He's as big a con man as Jacob is. And finally, he's going back to, back to the promised land. God told him he's taking his whole family with him, and he's running away from his father-in-law into a head-on conflict, a head-on collision with Esau, who he stole his birthright from 20-something years ago. And the night before, he's going to meet Esau. He'd already dealt with his father-in-law and his hunt for the idols and stuff like that. What kind of household does Jacob have where his his wife has idols and stuff like that? A lot of stuff in Jacob's life don't quite add up. But we like him because we see ourselves in him. (laughs) And we're thinking if, if God can be the God of Jacob, he can be my God too. We say God of Abraham, yeah, God of Isaac, yeah, God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. And we think like, oh, the God of Adam. Okay, God of Jacob. Fair enough. And so the night before, you know, he's going to meet up with Esau. He's, he's by the brook there, and, he's, and, the, and the Bible says they wrestled him a man all night long. Oh, it's God. I want you to understand. I think it's Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, saying, God wrestled with him? Yeah, doesn't he wrestle with you? If you're a man, he does. I'm just telling you, he does. It's his preferred method of getting us to change our mind. He wrestles with us. Usually we're alone. He doesn't generally bring our dirty laundry out for everyone to see. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to get his message across, but he'll do it privately if you'll let him. Thank God. (laughs) I don't want my (laughs) dirty laundry out there for everyone to see. Do I have wrestlings with God? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got me in a hammerlock, and he's got my arm twisted around in impossible ways, and he... Uh, uncle? <laughs> no, I'm I'm because I'm a pig-headed. Most of us are guys. It's the reason he wrestles with. Us. Listen, I go go to these men's conferences stuff like that. He always wrestles with me. He always I and I always tell, him, hey, you got to make this. You got to you got to come. You got why? Because you're gonna have a wrestling match with God. He never misses the opportunity. You don't even. I'm not even broken. Well, I don't think I am. And he's showing me like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This here's got to change. And, this is, and the wrestling match starts. And really, it's in the privacy of my own heart. And I can call, say uncle right off the bat. Jacob, he's one, of the, he's one of the hard-headest of us all. All night long. Listen, I used to wrestle for reals in like high school. Six minutes is an eternity on a, on a wrestling match. Six minutes is like, that's like three football games end to end, if you ask me. That's an eternity. Uh, you can hardly stand, you wrestle for six, you can hardly stand up after that. And if it goes in overtime, oh, ouch. Wrestling all night long. Imagine that. And God's winning, because he'll let you play around for a while, and he's going to put you in some impossible hole that you can't get out of. But it's going to be a benefit. Does, it, does women happen the same? I think God breaks women's hearts. I think like tears equal God's work in a woman's life from what I can determine most of the times. I know I'm painting with a broad brush and some sister come up and hey, I've had my wrestle match with God. Okay, okay, I'm not. Fair enough. So he's wrestling all night long and he's finally in a place where he's, he's got him by the what? Foot. Let go of me. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. What's your name? 
You're the God of the universe. You don't know my name? What's your name? What kind of question is that? I think he's inviting Jacob to last time what your name was. You said it was Esau, and it wasn't. This is an invitation for Jacob to take ownership of who he was. What's my name? Let me tell you what my name is. Heel grabber. And I think he was <laughs> literally had him by the leg. You know how you, you kids do when you wrestle with them? And I mean when they're very little kids and they just get you around the ankle so you can walk across the floor with them. You know, you know I, 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 I think it's, that's how Jacob's got him at this point. Right? He, he grabbed him by the hip, put his hip out of joint. I've never had my hip out of joint. This doesn't sound like something fun at all. Uh, can you wrestle without like one of your hips? No. No, you need all your stuff when you wrestle. You know, you really do. Uh, one hip out, no, you, you lose. That's it. You're, you got to tap out. It's all done. Here he is, the, the wrestling match. What's your name? I'm Jacob. I'm heel grabber. And God blessed him there. And now he can't walk so good. He has to, uh, that staff that he's leaning on for the rest of his life shows us that he's, uh, it, it always comes back to that wrestle match where he had to repent in a really good way. Repentance is wonderful, and I see very little of it instantaneously. Sometimes the Word of God gets in there and, and kind of and it works its work, and then people come to that place of repentance. It's, it's, it's a slow, long process. Listen, they say that people hear the gospel seven times on the average before they get saved. Why is that? Because we're wrestling and we're sorting it out and we're working it through and we're not so ready to repent. That, I, I don't know. That, that's amazing to me. I, I try to be like at a place where once I hear God speaking to me, I, I try to just like, all right, and try to, because it's always for my good and it's, it's never wise to fight him. It doesn't seem like, and again, the wrestling match is coming. When he pins us, that's a good thing. And God blessed him there was where? Desperation, repentance, naming himself, Jacob. You see, you put all those things together, and I think you get a picture of, I'm out. I'm, I've tried to do things my way, Lord, for the longest time now. I've tried to, all these, I've tried to, you know, bilk this one and dupe this one and try to get over and, at the end of the day, I'm just heel grabber. And God blessed him there. Now that staff is a picture of that wrestling match, that point of, I think at this point, Jacob, if, if we could say born again, I think this is when he's a man of faith at this point. I think running around trying to steal the blessing and selling the birthright, and I don't think that makes him a man of faith. His, his house, he's got four wives, basically, two wives, two concubines, 12 children by all of them, and Dinah, at least, and probably other daughters as well. And I don't think that point's so great faith. I think the fact that God's blessed him with cattle and herds, I don't think that, it, maybe he's industrious, but I don't think that makes him a great man of faith. I think when he becomes faithful is when he comes to the place of repentance where he says, God, here I am, Jacob. And God blessed him there. And that staff, I think, is indicative of his life the rest of hey listen listen when you wrestle with god maybe maybe your thigh is going to be out of joint metaphorically maybe there's going to be a demarcation where your life has changed from that point on and you have to lean on a staff metaphorically for the rest of your life whatever it's 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 still it's a great place to be
God will bless you there. And so here he comes to the place where he's dying now, and he puts the blessing on, on Joseph's sons. And, and he worshiped God, leaning upon the top of the staff. He finally gets to the place where God wanted him to be. And I think that a lifelong of bad decisions and wrestling, and finally he, it's like he's in a payoff place. Okay, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, when you look at the life of Jacob, you're going to find a, a hard place to find a lot of places where he has a lot of faith. When you look at Joseph, Joseph is like, okay, he has the dreams. Does that indicate like uh, hearing from God? He has the dreams that come true. He's... Faithful to his dad and all his brothers aren't really. Okay? So he goes, he gets sold into Egypt where he's faithful to God at Potiphar's house. So much so, so that when Potiphar's wife said, hey, hey big boy, let's uh, a little, uh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do it. Why would I sin against Potiphar? Why would I sin against you for that matter? And why would I sin against God? Sin against God, because he, he, he hadn't been faithful to you. Why would you be faithful to him? He sold you into slavery. Here you are, a million miles away from your family, your friends. You're living as a slave in this man's house. Why would you be faithful to God? Because God is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be faithful to. You don't look at circumstances. You look at God. I don't know what I'm going through. Uh, did he at this point say, you guys meant it for me to be evil, but God meant it for me meant it to me for good. He, uh, did he come to that realization yet? I don't think so. But he's living the life of faith. He's in a dungeon, and he's faithful to God, so much so that the, 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 the jailer put him in charge of the whole prison. His life is a life of faith the whole way through. You've got a million ways you can look at Joseph and say, look at the life of faith, and look at what he did. Imagine 18-ish years old, burning with that fever that gets in all us young men and saying no and here uh, 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 ostensibly a beautiful lady offers herself to you and says hey how about nope nope that's wrong I ain't doing it no how no way imagine that so much so that when he ran out of the house left his garment with her that is faithful that is that's awesome by the way do that whatever it takes do not fall into that sin Joseph says, I'm having no part of it. So you look at all these faithful things, and now we read this. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. You say, what? <laughs> Why is that lifted as an example of Joseph's faith? Because I think the writer's trying to show us different aspects of faith and what it looks like, what it looks like to approach God, what it looks like to walk with God, how it affects your family, Right? How, what does it look like? What does faith look like when God says one thing and your ideas about what's right and wrong are another thing? He's, he's handpicking these things to make a point, and I think the point's made here. Listen, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of children of Israel. Again, he's prophesying, right? That's going to happen like 400-ish years, plus or minus, from this point. But it's going to happen, and I want you to take my bones with you don't bury me in Egypt. Egypt's not my home. Oh, and by the way, it's not your home either. Who cares about his bones? Do you care? Because so, in America, you know, uh, we say, uh, I don't care. Cremate me, bury me. Yeah, 
lay me up by the garbage, you know, and the, the guys can come and take me when they collect the garbage. We don't care. It's just, a, it's just an empty shell. doesn't mean anything to me. I hear that all the time. And I'm thinking, like, there's an element of that. That's right. You're just made of stuff that's same out there in the driveway. Not, <laughs> okay, it's mud. It's ingeniously arranged mud. But we're basically not all that much. This spacesuit I'm wearing, it's a few dollars worth of co- chemical compounds, right? And basically, when the Bible says that Adam was made from the earth, we are, okay? We have all the elements of dirt, <laughs> okay? I mean, uh, if that humbles you a little bit. It's probably a good thing. So why do we care about our body? Why did he care about... Don't, hey, don't, don't build me no pyramid. Don't want it. I'm not, I'm not going to be here. Did he say, uh, burn me up, scatter my ashes on? He says this. When I get up in the morning, I want to get up in the promised land. That's the land that God has for us. That's what my, so it's talking about, listen, you guys are not going to be here in a few hundred years. Take me with. It's, it's, it's faith that looks to the resurrection. And I think that's what the whole thing was concerning his bones. When I get up, it matters to me where I get up. You say, well, Adam, what are you talking about, soul sleep? No, no. I think to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know anything about soul sleep. I don't think the Bible teaches it at all. But when you get up, you this is what resurrection looks like. Everyone who ever lived is facing a resurrection. And there's two categories. There's the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The first resurrection happens in segments, and I've talked about that before. Jesus is the first fruits of all of them that slept. So he's the first part of the first resurrection. What's the second part? You and me, the church, the bride of Christ, getting up. Um, is it going to happen? Yes. The resurrection is going to happen. Is it going to happen soon? I think very soon. But I've been thinking that for as long as I've been saved. By the way, so you've been wrong all this time, you're saying. I don't know if I'd say that. I've always thought it was coming soon, soon being a, not an exact word. And I think it's helped me. I think I've, I've, uh, a lot of times uh, I thought like, I ain't got time to fool around. I ain't got time for sin. I ain't got time to put this on the back burner. I think God's moving in my life. I think I better start and start doing that now. And I think that's always helped me. I'm not a procrastinator. And people who do, they drive me crazy. They make me, you don't have, you don't know I have any idea how much time you got left. You're going to put that off and put that off. But really? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Even if you live a whole, all your days out, I don't see procrastination as ever being a benefit. But that's a story for another time. Anyway, I think what he's talking about is like, look, uh, I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to get up out of this grave. I'm going to put this suit back on. Okay, it might be a little bit different. It'll be an a, a eternal space suit. But whatever it is, I want that to happen in the promised land. I know God's got promises for us. And I think what Joseph's faith talks to us about is talks to us about resurrection. Listen, the fact that we're going to live forever, doesn't that kind of change a lot of stuff? I mean, look, if, I, if we're just like dogs, right? We're going to be here for so long. Eat, 
drink and be merry for tomorrow you die, right? Let's get all the, reach for all the gusto we can, even in the beer we drink. Remember that old commercial? that Schaefer or Schlitz or something like that? Reach for all the gusto, even in the beer you drink. That's how life should be, just about gusto and getting all we can, right? Well, if this is all there is, but the idea is not. And I think this is what Joseph's telling us. Listen, let's start in uh, Moses a little bit. We aren't going to get very far. Look at, before we look at Moses, let's look at his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months, months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Uh, and they were not uh, afraid of the king's commandment. He was a godly child, and they were... They were not afraid. They weren't dismayed by the king's commandment. King said, Pharaoh said, throw all the boys into the, into the Nile River. Satan's always a murderer. He was from the beginning. His ways always lead to death. Is Satan the mastermind behind abortion? There's a question about that. That's not even debatable. That's, that's still even talk about. His ways are always the ways of death. And his parents, I know, what the, I know what Pharaoh said, we ain't going to do it. Faith here shows us that when people say one thing and God says, says another thing, when they're in conflict, we do what God says. Well, what about it when it's the law of the land? Because the Bible says we're supposed to obey those who have the rule and the authority over us. Correct. That's correct. And the Bible does say that. Except for when they're in direct conflict with God's word. Um, Peter says that we're supposed to obey the authorities over us. Paul says that we're supposed to obey those who have the rule over us. And Peter and Paul both were put to death for not doing what they told us to do. Both of them. Because there's a time when the Bible says, you know, like, like for, instance, for instance, for instance, can I give you an example? What happened during the last presidential administration, the Supreme Court said that I have to marry people of the same gender. Gender. Did I say, yeah. I have to. You can't say, well, I can't. I got uh, philosophical, theological reasons I can't. They said there's no exception. You're denying them their some sort of constitutional right. (laughs) Well, Constitution says that, huh? I, I must have read it wrong. It's been hiding there in plain sight all along, right? So can I do that? No. I have to. It's the law. Well, I guess I got to obey what God says, not what man says. Hey, listen, I made this, I made this choice long ago. My, my original knee-jerk reaction was, well, I won't marry anyone then. Live with that. And people say, well, wait a second, we want you to marry us. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Go get a civil, go to the justice of the peace to it, and I'll solemnize it or something like that. No, no. You know what that is? It's not a faith. Whatever's not a faith is sin. Will I end up going to prison? I don't know that. Will I pay a big fine? I don't know that. Will I marry people of the same? Will I marry a biological male with anyone who's not a biological female? No, I won't do it. I know that. 
And I think what Moses' parents tell us, you got to go with what God says. Where's faith come from? Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. I know what the Bible says on this matter. So I got verses. I got theology all around it. I know that from the beginning they were male and female. So the application is I take the word of God and I apply it to my life and I do what God tells me to do. Does that mean trouble? Sometimes. Listen, there's, a, there's dozens of countries on this planet where what I'm doing right now is against the law. And if I live in those countries, I'd like to think I would still be, still do, still be doing it at the penalty of imprisonment or death or torture or whatever. Life is short. You've got to do what God tells you to do. Have we ever figured that out yet? It's just going to come out better. In the short term, maybe not. Maybe not, because we're going to look at the, these heroes of faith. At the end of this, look at, um, can I just show you? Um, I know our time's almost done. Look at where we're going with this. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their uh, dead, raised to life again. I like faith. <laughs> Go God. And then here the, and others were tortured. Wait a second. That just took a turn for the worse. Torture isn't on my to-do list today. Get tortured. How many of us are standing in that line willingly? No. No, we don't want that. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection is what we're talking about, right? And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. Stone was sawn asunder. Sawn asunder, read here, cut in half. Uh, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Again, who's standing there, destitute, afflicted, tormented line? All those of us who choose faith. Well, I want, the, I want to quench the violence of the fire. I want to escape the edge of the sword. You don't get to select. Faith looks like delivered by the, from the mouth of lions. And it also looks like sawn asunder. Who gets to select? God does. And what do we get to select? Well, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm counting the cost, whatever it is. Look, these are the rules of the game. We walk by faith, not by sight. And faith looks like something. It looks like following God and not our own concoctions. It, it always does. And it's never going to change. And there was always a price to be paid. Uh, Abel was faithful and Cain murdered him. <laughs> Sometimes... You're delivered from the mouth of the lion. You, the, you, you quench the fire with your faith. Sometimes, and so all these guys, these name it, claim it, faith guys on TV, all their theologies just went by the wayside. All of it just went away. This is what faith tells us. And it's not always root beer and Skittles, is it? But it's faithful. And we only live in this life for such and such a time. And we'll live in eternity forever. Let's stand, let's pray. Well, I've never suffered greatly for the faith. I mean, we've all suffered, you know, we've, we've lost friends and family and stuff like that. It's common to all of us. But I've never been in prison and sawn asunder or any of these things. But Lord, don't let my words be hollow because they almost sound even hollow to me sometimes. But just because 
I mean, your word is still true. And just because these things haven't happened to all of us doesn't mean they don't happen. And Lord, we have example after example worldwide of people who are paying the ultimate price for following you. And Lord, we want to learn these lessons. We want to apply them to our lives, uh, whatever the consequences. But we know that at the end of them, Lord, we, like Moses, we're going to say, no, we esteem Christ greater riches than all the pleasures of Egypt. And help us to make that decision, Lord. Help us to follow you regardless. In Jesus' name, amen. It is our desire to get God's word out to all. So our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses. And if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross.